arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. 1952 was one of the biggest years of UFO sightings in U.S. history. The culmination of that year was incredible sightings over the weekend of July 19th, 20th, and 26th, 27th. Washington International was picking up UFO returns. People were reporting sightings of strange lights in the sky. You've got these reports of these objects flying over the nation's capital. A week later, the situation essentially repeats itself. The press, having gone through this thing the week before, were better prepared, and they were down at the Washington International Airport asking what these things were that were being picked up by radar. We were getting the target returns on the ground. About 2 or 3 in the morning, we were still getting these returns. Andrews Air Force Base scrambles two F-94 jet interceptors to investigate what was going on. This time, one of the pilots reported that he did see a group of lights, and he flew towards them, and they appeared to be all around him. Then they moved off, according to the ground radar and his reports. Harry Truman made some phone calls to try to get some information on what was going on. Government people coming out of their offices saw these objects, and you couldn't tell them that it hadn't happened. The Air Force really had to say something. So they held the largest press conference since the end of the Second World War, run by the head of Air Force Intelligence, General Samford. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucers. General Samford and the rest of the Air Force uh, brass believe that these lights were caused from temperature inversion. And when that happens, that can cause anomalies in the radar. Radar signals can bounce and cause all kinds of mirages and illusions. I can't think that that explains the lights that these pilots are reported. The senior traffic controller, Harry Barnes, said, not a chance. We know through declassified literature, no one was really taking this weather explanation seriously. Nobody thought that was true because the Air Force had been chasing those objects. The Air Force baked it, the press served it, and the public ate it. That's really what happened. Interesting events over D.C. in 1952. Hmm. On the cover of the Cronman book is a photo with odd scarring, vertical and then at a 90 degree angle on the bottom, and more linear formations almost a hieroglyphic or alien scrawling. Only somebody with a wild imagination would conjure up an alien origin. Yes, listeners, that is my hand from a few years ago. Dare I say, the best part of this is, whatever that scar writing was, it has vanished like invisible ink. Well, I gave the scar to Cronman before it disappeared in real life. You figure it out. Here is some science fiction for one and all. Episode 4 of Cron Man by Robert P. Fitton. Chapter 19, Club 4712, August 22nd, 2021, 11.45 p.m. The recess lights formed sculptured globules across the conference room. Kovar folded his hands at the conference table as the group filed into his office. He glanced out the window overlooking the glowing city lights back to the airport and the dark desert beyond. He stood once the guards closed the door. Gentlemen, thank you for being here so late. There was fighting this afternoon in Libya and in the Sudan. 
Egypt has internal radicals destroying all semblance of their government. We need to produce changes. First, let me say the Ouroboros project is in good shape. We have grown from a consensus of being on the verge of bringing change to the entire area. If you will check on page one, you will see the extraordinary cash reserves that will be injected into the campaign of President Stephen B. Richardson. Anyway, let me say I speak for the others when I say, said the fat little man in the corner. Force is the only option. Yes, and Janice is entirely ruthless. He will get his access in Camden Bay and get what we desire. Richardson will be gone. People aren't stupid, Koba. This is so outlandish, it's not to be believed. What is so outlandish? shouted Farouk across the table. Not for you to know, Farouk. You will not leave us out of such an important consideration. You will be told on a need-to-know basis. Usurper! yelled David Reich. You think you're the mastermind, do you? Quite frankly, yes. If I have 12 people all vying while this is in motion, we'll all end up in prison. Janice has his own agenda. Everyone benefits from the relationship. Richardson must go. Can you really trust this Janice? Asked Gallopos. Kovar stared into Gallopos's dark eyes and receding dark curly hair. I trust Janice about as much as I trust any of you. The collective group laugh seemed to indicate more of an acceptance of his plan. I don't exactly call that an endorsement, said Gallopos. It will have to do if we want to have control. Our teams will be divided into many angles. Which are? Also, not your concern. It will be done. You require a great deal of trust. This special ops will be in place, but it will do them no good. In the end, we will gain the opportunity for Ouroboros everywhere in the Middle East. Chapter 20. Eddie's Quick Fix Garage. August 21st, 2021. 5.49 p.m. Eddie leaned against the garage workbench and spoke into a black landline phone. Baby, old Eddie's made some deals. Money, money, money. Oh, Eddie, you didn't mortgage your truck again, did you? I tell you... Don't worry about it, Lulu, he said, puffing on his cigarette. What do you say you and me, we do a little dirty dancing tonight? I'd love to, Eddie. Do you have the cash? Listen, I could call a hundred different babes. Her squeaky voice caused him to lift the phone away from his ear. Pick me up at eight. Don't be late. Oh, cute. Real cute. Eddie hung up the phone. You enjoying your vacation? Asked a voice from behind. He turned to see two men in suits. Now nah, I was talking to my girl, Lulu. A greasy-looking man in the gray suit stepped forward. Who the hell are you? Does it really matter, Eddie? How do you know who I am? Does it matter? He asked as they walked across the garage. Do I owe you money? No, you don't, said the other guy. He stood in front of Eddie. Just have a few questions for you, Eddie. Sure, I always got answers. Good, said the first guy. Why were you, Randy Wilson, and his old man and his sister out of action? Don't know what you're talking about. He grabbed Eddie by the lapels. 
You listen to me, you little pissant. Hebe, hebe, hebe. Why was Wilson and body armor at the hospital? Hey, I don't know nothing about what happened to him. What do you mean, jerk? He yelled and pushed Eddie against the cinder blocks. Who, me? Asked Eddie as his stomach went queasy. The man cupped his hand behind Eddie's chin. You tell me where you hillbillies were last week. Hey, I went fishing. Oh, really, smart guy? He nodded at the other man. Eddie saw him approach. He felt his jaw expand in pain, and he was on the floor looking up at both men. One of them walloped his cheek with the end of his shoe. I don't know nothing. The other guy lifted Eddie up. I'm going to tell you something, punk. I don't think you went fishing. Eddie knew they were going to hit him again, but he also knew that someone in intelligence would kill him if he leaked out the information. I was up at a cabin on Lake Purcell. You can check. Liar, he said as he hit Eddie several times. Eddie blacked out and then opened his eyes. You people suck. The other guy kicked him in the gut. You tell me where everyone went and why or I'll kill you. He took out a small handgun and jammed it into Eddie's temple. Ah, I feel dizzy. Shut up. Where did they go? Eddie closed his eyes and faked passing out. He fell to the ground. Oh, great, Rudy. Now you knocked him out. Eddie opened one eye and then shut it quickly. Conover, wake up, he said, shaking Eddie. What do we do now? Eddie pushed the alert on his phone, sending out a homing signal, and he left the phone on. Well, we bring him to Junior's office. Eddie cringed but kept his eyes closed as they grabbed his wrists and ankles. He felt the change in the air as they exited the building. A van door slid open and they hoisted him onto a carpeted floor. He heard everyone climb inside and the door slid shut. The engine started and as they pulled away, Eddie kept his eyes closed. Chapter 21 South Medical Center, 1287 Tremblay Street, Camden Bay, New York August 21st, 2021, 6 p.m. Everyone watched Julie's morning report, now being replayed on Channel 4. She had covered the Janus trial reconvening last week. Channel 4 investigators have been told by sources that Mr. Maurice Janus has expanded his legal team with the Foley Group in New York, who work in conjunction with Richard Dutch Corcoran. The team will be pursuing leads of alleged jury tampering by Mr. Janus. I'm Julie Wilson, 4 News. Good report, said Harry from the chair. Randy shook hands with Harry. When you go home, I'll drive you in my truck. After all, I had a detail. You should bring me home. Well, I'm glad you're all right, buddy. Behave yourself, Randy. Fogarty walked with him into the corridor. Your sister is impressive. Julie's always been able to dig. Randy's white phone rang. That's Briggs. Briggs? Hello, Colonel. We're just leaving the hospital. Randy, Eddie Conover's been brought to the Janus Tower. He's activated the homing signal. Will wonders ever cease? They're going to try and break him. You need to get over there right now. We can't let Eddie tell Janus what's happened. Well, that's cross town. Then you'll have to become crime man, Randy. Now. Understood. He stuffed the phone in his jeans pocket. I need to get to the Janus building. Well, I can drive you. No, not now. They have Eddie over there, he said as he ran down the corridor. I'll follow in the jeep. Randy reached the end of the sixth floor corridor. 
He opened the window and stared down at the sidewalk and the road below. Somehow, he knew he could jump and not be hurt. The early evening traffic moved in both directions. He leaped outward and spread his arms. As if he were weightless, his expanded body, tinted blue in the sunlight, winged through the South Camden Bay buildings around 200 feet above the ground. There was no need to reach the ground, and with his arms to his side, he headed north along the lake. He reached in his pocket and secured Fogarty's shield over his eyes. The Janus Tower, pointed to the sky along the water in the haze, was about five miles away. Eddie might talk if they offered him money. His leaving his phone on to alert might mean that he had kept silent. The tower was closer now. He knew Junior's penthouse was just below the beginning of the pointed apex. As he neared the building, still several hundred feet above the lake, he slowed. He smiled, realizing his awesome powers. He lifted his arms about his head and attached himself to a window frame. A few floors below the penthouse, he climbed up the outside of the building. He lifted himself up to the window span in Junior's office. Junior was at his desk talking with two men, but Randy did not see Eddie. He ducked down and maneuvered himself along the ledge. As if he were doing a chin-up, he pulled on the ledge. Eddie sat on a sofa in the penthouse. He could, with a little concentration, hear Junior's voice in the outer office. The hell are you trying to pull, Conover? Hey, I don't know nothing. Look, you little weasel. Why was Harry ridden protected? Told you I don't know nothing. Kill him, shouted Junior. Randy floated backward. Then he smashed through the glass as if it were made of hard candy. The glass exploded all over the room and fragments tumbled across the carpet. What the hell is this goon? yelled Junior. Sid! Alex! Shoot him! Gal Cronman! The two men unloaded their weapons on Randy, but the bullets fell to the carpet. Eddie scampered back against the wall. Hello, boys, said Randy. Hey, don't hurt us, said the hefty Alex. Randy grabbed both guns simultaneously and crushed the barrels with his bare hands. Then he threw the guns against the wall. He shoved the men back and they crashed through the wood panels. Flunky, who the hell are you? screamed Junior as he too fired a gun at Randy. When he had emptied the chamber, he slithered back behind his desk. Come on, Eddie, into the other room. What's the matter, Junior? Cat got your tongue? yelled Eddie. Randy grabbed Eddie around the waist. Hey, what are you doing? Hope you like quick flights, Eddie. Eddie looked at the open window. Hey, I ain't going out on that ledge. You're right, said Randy. He wrapped his huge appendage around Eddie's waist. Then he jumped out the window. Eddie screamed as oh Randy God, began a slow die. descent to the ground. Above, he saw Junior, hands on the window frame, staring down at him. Eddie covered his eyes as he finally stopped running. The side alley allowed Randy to effortlessly float to the ground. His sneakers hit the concrete. Are we there yet? asked Eddie, looking out between his fingers. Yeah, we're on the ground. Leaving that homing signal on was brilliant, Eddie. I thought so, said Eddie, brushing his work suit. Then he looked up. Oh, my God. 
We were way up there. Junior may figure out who I am, but he won't be able to explain it. I swear I didn't talk. I swear I'm a patriot. Oh, really? He ducked and looked around. Yeah, and I don't want to get picked off by one of Briggs' snipers. Randy munched on a Snickers bar as they waited for Briggs to appear on the module's big screen. Silverstein treated Eddie's bruises with ice and an antiseptic lotion. Briggs materialized inside the Wyoming Lodge. How is Eddie? Fit and trim and ready for love, shouted Eddie from across the room. But I had to cancel my date with Lulu. Briggs exhaled. What does Janice know about our operation? Nothing. Come on, what did they ask you, Eddie? They wanted to know where everybody went last week. I didn't tell them nothing. They couldn't have been happy about that, said Fogarty as she entered the module. Yeah, that's when they knock me down and they kick my head. Who? asked Randy. Junior's guys, Rudy and Bill Anson. Then he grabbed Silverstein's wrist. Ouch! I have to clean those wounds and abrasions. Well, give me some Novocaine. Yeah, for his mouth, Randy whispered to Fogarty. She grinned and patted his shoulder as she moved up to the screen. Did anyone on the street see you and Eddie? No, I descended into the alley and I talked to Julie later. No reports of Cronman sightings in Camden Bay. Good. Colonel, what should we do about Janice? We've notified Chief Baldwin. They're watching what he does. Eddie, Randy says that the two men fired at him and so did Janice. Yeah, he asked who Cronman was. He just got me the hell out of there. Well, he has to suspect me from the hospital said Randy. Fogarty had her hands on her hips. What do you think he's going to do? Nothing, said Briggs. I say you go back to work and just deny everything. Randy moved closer to the screen. I think you're right, Colonel. No one's going to believe them. Briggs put on his reading glasses and lifted a paper in his hands. I have an update from various services. Fournier can't be found, which indicates he is using the alias Fournier, according to three agencies. Richardson's visit is on schedule, and Janice will be meeting with the president and his people. Money has been recorded by the election commission. The Duke, the Duke. He doesn't sound like John Wayne, Eddie. In his younger years. How much money did Junior give, asked Randy, waving his arm at Eddie. Five million. Junior wouldn't drop that kind of money on a campaign. That is being traced now, but it could take time. I would ask why he'd funnel $5 million, said Fogarty. Access, according to my contacts. For whom? Maybe Fournier or whoever he is. Decker is obtaining a presidential itinerary for the Camden Bay visit. That includes all meetings. Chief Baldwin has expanded the police presence for the speech and the meetings prior to the speech. I say you should just cancel the speech, said Randy. I agree. Why even deal with this? Somebody has to talk some sense into him, said Fogarty. Uh, Richardson is stubborn and doesn't want himself or the presidency to be intimidated. And he's the boss. Dutch reached through the open window in Junior's office. The wind whipped through the opening at this height. I tell you, Dutch, said Junior from his desk, what happened up here was clearly impossible. Are you feeling all right, Maurice? Junior flailed his arm and, and advanced on Dutch. What are you saying? I flipped out? All I'm saying is this doesn't jibe with reality. It was Randy Wilson. 
Why did Conover call him Cronman? How the hell do I know? Jumped out that window with Conover. We just called the garage, you idiot. Conover answered the phone and he put Wilson on the horn, which is damned impossible. What gives? I have no answer, Maurice. Let's just assume that this is true. Then the hospital thing must be connected. I would have just called it body armor if I didn't see Cronman jump out the window. Cronman, Cronman, what does it mean? Dutch shook his head. Now you're a lot of help, Dutch. Where the hell is Evelyn? He pulled out his phone. Evelyn, I need that window fixed. Glass Company is on their way. I'm heading back to Office Basket for the rest of the supplies. Okay, thanks. Chapter 22. Club 4712, August 22nd, 2021, 1.36 p.m. Ovar cupped the binoculars around his eyes. From his panel office, a vantage point atop Club 4712, the smooth desert dunes formed a rolling mass toward the horizon. I do not see the drone. Drone matches the dune sun. When we launch it in the U.S., the drone will be darker, said the bearded Ahmad, lowering his binoculars. The tactical nuclear weapon will take them by surprise and annihilate their city. A small, compact weapon, Dana. Kovar nodded and set the binoculars on the filing cabinet. He checked his watch. Two minutes over target. Ahmed stared out the window. I am fearful we will be caught. It's very simple. Our team will be 15 kilometers out on the lake, far enough away where the authorities will see nothing. It's very simple. Ahmed paced with his hands locked behind his back. My benefactors have asked me why not just kill him over there. Cover and placement of the transmitter. They will never suspect any of us, even if they investigate that far. Maybe André Fournier, he said, smiling. Let them think what they will. I will personally place the location of the synchronizing transmitter in the hotel garage near the square. By the time the blast takes place, I will be in Montreal, meeting with political operatives to get me back here. When that cloud rises over the city, a terror will sweep the world. Yes, Ahmed, before the simulation, let me ask. You brilliantly gathered the hyperbomb materials together in Camden Bay. What is the status right now of the tactical hyperbomb? The bomb will be ready next week in Canada, sent by conventional torpedo to the freighter. Good. With our assembled teams on the freighter, we will execute the plans. I assume there will be no NSA interference, said Ahmed, raising his binoculars. No interference. The drone is being assembled on the freighter. The payload will arrive to the freighter by torpedo from the Canadian shore and no one will be the wiser. All compartmentalized. Kovar lifted the binoculars. The heat rose off the desert sand and rippled against the blue sky. A focused hyperbomb. Richardson will have no chance. We have all waited too long. Richardson has been the obstacle to Oromos. Yes. The conventional test explosion would occur in one minute. Kovar's heart beat swiftly and he lit a long cigarette as the countdown slowly rolled down toward zero. His hands shook slightly as he focused on the dune lines against the sand. Each heartbeat rattled the image. 
At first, there was a flash of an explosive mushroom cloud into a tiny fireball, much smaller than the hypernuclear bomb that would appear over Camden Bay. It dissipated much quicker than a nuclear blast would within a city. Kovar slowly lowered the binoculars. His face remained rigid. It is ready. Chapter 23 Inside the module, Eddie's Quick Fix Garage, August 21st, 2021, 5.49 p.m. Harry has battled back, said Fogarty. Randy patted Brownie's head and then activated the big screen in the module. I can't believe he's getting out early. We're running late. Fogarty produced a lip smile and briefly held his shoulder. On the big screen, Briggs sat at a desk overlooking San Francisco's Transamerica building and the Blue Harbor toward the bridge. His sleeves were rolled up and his tie loosened. Hello, Camden Bay. Colonel, said Randy. The report I have from the chief is that Harry will be back at work half days next week. Smart releasing him early. Briggs reached to his right and read from a report, but I have an additional report. Customs is looking into Janice's shipment from five overseas locations. I've also talked to them about Fournier. A man named Fournier may have been involved in one of Janice's shipments from Shanghai. Are they following up on this? asked Fogarty. Yes. In light of Randy's revelation about Fournier, the name is out there as a security risk. I hope to have additional intel. Right now, I'm headed north to Crescent City. Another encounter? asked Randy. Most investigations are bogus. We'll see. Good job at the Janus building, Randy. I'll talk to you when I have something. Thanks, Colonel. The screen went to blue and he turned to Fogarty in jeans and an apricot jersey. Off to Spring Harry, he threw Brownie, tail wagging a treat. We'll be back, Brownie. As they left the module, Fogarty electronically closed the inner door. Once in the painting area, she secured the second door and closed the regular wooden door. Randy ran his fingers along the red-painted supersport. Well, say what you want about Eddie, but he sure can detail and paint a car. Right, and then there's the rest of his life. Randy laughed and guided her with his hand on her back out the side door of the garage. He double-locked the door and then checked the outside alley. They moved to his white pickup truck in front of the garage. He opened the side door for Fogarty and helped her into the truck. Are you a truck girl, Fogarty? He asked as he got behind the wheel and started the smooth-running engine. Where I grew up, Randy, I was driving a truck in the field when I was ten years old. Well, that narrows it down where you were brought up. Keep trying, she said as he backed around and headed toward Belmont Street. Eventually, I'll figure it out. Maybe. She rolled down the window. I like open air. Then you would have loved the flight down from Junior's office. Eddie screamed the whole way down. Smart coming down in the alley. There are no reports of Cronman taking the Air Express. Randy grinned. What about Junior? He saw the whole thing. I know him. He won't rest until he finds the truth. Let him. Briggs has Treasury Department agents tailing Junior. I'd get more than that. Junior is very slippery. Randy moved into traffic toward the red light. According to what I read in the reports, Junior's worked for his father since he was 14 years old. Janice Ventures was not involved in any criminal activities. They were importers and resellers. Till Junior, he took over the operation at 24 when his father died. What are you thinking, Randy? 
I'm thinking that Junior would do anything to keep his power, including killing his father. Harry, in the chrome wheelchair, held Diane's hand in the wide elevator as the floors flashed by in red digits on the wall screen. Harry, maybe we should go up to Prospect Lake. I just want to sit in my old chair and tuck the kids in their beds, Di. She smiled and put her hand on his shoulder as she nodded. As the doors opened, Chris, Jared, and Mary rushed to meet Harry. Hey, where's my pizza? asked Harry. Mom? Nanette rolled a chair through the lobby. With cheese and pepperoni and onions, said Diane. Yummy, said Harry as Chris climbed on his lap. And I suppose you want ice cream, young man. Chocolate? The forward doors slid open and the warmer evening air blew back his hair. No offense, Nanette, but I'm glad to get some fresh air. None taken, I fully understand. They moved across the sidewalk under the canopy. I don't see Randy's truck. The scuzzbag isn't coming over here again, is he? Asked Nanette. Harry smiled. You must be talking about Eddie Conover. Yeah, that's him. Now you're safe, Nanette. Harry's phone rang. He slid it out of his pocket. Harry Ridden. Harry, it's Randy. Ah, right on time. I'm sorry. We're stuck on the expressway. Well, Diane can take me in the van. It's no big deal. But you're not going to miss the pizza party. Well, you better order extra. We will. Harry eyed the dozen pizza boxes in the back seat. That smell is driving me crazy, Diane. You want a piece before we go in? No, no, I'll wait. She pulled alongside the curb in front of their raised ranch on Garibaldi Street in West Camden Bay. Can you walk into the house, Harry? You bet your pepperoni I can walk into the house. Diane smiled and shut off the van. Harry had already opened the passenger door. I can see this is going to be an interesting recovery. Harry stepped onto the curb as Diane opened the sliding door. The kids ran into the yard. As he began walking along the street in front of the house, Diane approached with several pizzas. Ah, it's great to be back here, shouted Harry. Harry Ridden, don't you be taking your evening stroll. You need bed rest. Harry smiled. Just a few minutes here. You may be going back to work sooner than you think, she chuckled as she carried the boxes into the house. Harry grinned. His chest still hurt. She was right, but he did want to savor the moment. He thought about calling his neighbor, Russ Watkins. Russ's smaller house was located under the pines beyond a rail fence. Down the center of Garibaldi Street, a white cube truck gained speed. Harry gingerly stepped to his left as he focused on Russ's house. Diane screamed at the front door and called his name. Harry! The truck rumbled at high speed less than 50 yards away. Harry slowly turned and stood rigid. He was in no condition with his wound to run or leap onto the front lawn. The truck was so close he could see the license plate. The driver wore a ski mask and the truck whined as it headed directly at him. Harry fell to the ground. He heard a loud, windswept noise. The truck became airborne and he covered his head. Not only was the truck airborne, but it was lifted on an upward trajectory. Harry's chest ached as he rolled over. Diane kept calling his name as she approached. Harry, Harry, are you all right? The truck disappeared in the sky to the east near Lake Van Buren. 
Are you all right, Harry? Harry sat in the street and stared up at the sky. It was him, said Harry, as Randy's truck pulled along the opposite side of Garibaldi. Somebody lifted that truck into the air and out of sight, cried Diane. He saved your life, Harry. Again? Who? Who was it, Harry? Harry smiled as Fogarty ran across the street. His chest hurt, but he smiled anyway. That sweetheart was Cronman. The Module, Eddie's Quick Fix Garage, August 21st, 2021, 9.05 p.m. Detective, said Briggs on the conference call. The sun had not yet set in Northern California. You had no other choice but to call him Cronman. Well, I hope I haven't compromised security, said Harry on audio. Diane fully understands now. Nobody else saw it, not even the kids. Bulldog's voice reverberated around the module. Tugboats found the truck 15 miles north of Richmond. Driver, of course, is dead. Who was the truck registered to? asked Briggs. No plates, said Bulldog. We traced the VIN number to Virginia. Truck was stolen about a year ago. It had to be Junior, said Harry. They want me out of the way. I should have provided extra security for you leaving the hospital, Harry. It's been corrected. Let's go forward. Janice Tower, 10.10 p.m. Wilson is that creature in my office, screamed Junior. His men stood before him as if they were called to the principal's office. Rudy walked into the office. Seaver is dead. What are you saying, Rudy? Yelled Junior, now on his feet. He scurried around his desk. They found him in the truck when they pulled him out of the water. It was a mile and a half outside Lake Man Buren. Junior squinted and tilted his head. Then he shook his head. His mouth remained open for several seconds. How is that possible, Rudy? Chopper? No, damn it, Cron Man. He rushed over to the window and looked toward the outline of the lake from the skyscraper lights. And where the hell is Julie Wilson? Well, she won't report on her brother, said Rudy. Get over to Randy Wilson's condo, Rudy. Keep him under surveillance. All that Cron Man stuff is true. Cron man, it has to be him. Have someone follow Julie. What do you got in mind? Just shut up, Rudy. I give the orders when I'm ready. Junior, said Evelyn as she dipped her head around the outer door. Mr. Melville from... I know who the hell Melville is, Evelyn. He picked up the phone. Maurice Janice. Hello, Maurice. This is John Melville. John, how are you? Well, the president is competent and a fighter. I like a fighter, John. Your support will allow the president to keep on fighting. My pleasure. Now, on the 30th, we'll reserve time in the Camden Bay Room at the Regalia, between 8 and 8.30, for meetings with the president. I look forward to it. Wednesday's speech in the square will outline a new security structure for the Middle East. The press is already critical of the thought, even though we haven't released the details of the speech. Everybody's a critic. You have 100% support here, sir. Glad to hear it. We'll touch base with you when we arrive at the Regalia. Any changes, call my staff. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. The line clicked and Junior looked at his phone. Yeah, they're thankful. We'll see how thankful Richardson is. He banged his fists on the desk. Julie will crack. Problem, Junior? Asked Evelyn as she opened the door. 
Yeah, there's a big problem, Evelyn. What the hell have they done to Randy Wilson? What is all this Cronman bullshit? How can what happened in your office be possible at all? It can't, honey. It can't. He just got out of the service. This is all government stuff. What are you going to do, Junior? Junior placed both hands on his desk and kept his back to Evelyn. He lifted his head slightly, and then he turned to his secretary and screamed, Fine, Cron Man! Chapter 24 The Module, Eddie's Quick Fix Garage, August 21st, 2021 Randy stood at ease inside the module as Briggs entered the house in Northern California. Colonel, they have no explanation for what happened to the truck. Randy, I don't hold you accountable for what happened tonight. You had no choice with that truck trying to mow down Detective Ridge. Well, I'm assuming that Junior knows it was me rescuing Eddie, too. Stay put in your quarters. I'm jumping the gun here, but my division is working on an alternative scenario. We are bringing you to a secure location. Where? Can't reveal that now. Within 24 hours, we also have our legal people preparing injunctions should Junior mention you. We'll make his life miserable. I'm all for that. The new location code is Delta Complex. You'll be state-of-the-art. A chopper will bring you from the garage. Yes, sir, I understand. Do you need anything? Asked Briggs. Maybe some more security for Harry. Already in place in a stealth way, supplementing the chief's men. Thank you. I'll be flying back to Camden Bay tomorrow morning. We'll be meeting with Decker and John Warden. As late as this afternoon, they've advised Richardson not to travel to Camden Bay. The president has rejected that advice. Do you have any new thoughts about what was told to you about Richardson? Nothing. I wish I did. Okay, I'll contact you at 1200 hours tomorrow. I'll talk to you then, Colonel. The screen went blank. Randy scooped up a few candy bars and sat in front of the computers. Brownie barked, then the outside bell sounded like an airplane captain signaling a change inside the aircraft. He opened the inner and then the outer door. Fogarty had a large smile and six pizzas. I have a delivery. Brownie wagged his tail as Fogarty patted his head. Do I have to tip? He asked. He looked into the paint room. Where's Eddie? Brownie growled at the mention of Eddie's name. At Pappy's place, she said, and she walked inside. Randy secured the door. She set the boxes on the counter and flipped open the top box. Dig in, Randy. Thanks, I'm starved. Briggs told me that you two were going to talk. Chief Baldwin will be over here later. He started in on the cheese pizza. Fogarty handed him a chilled bottle of Coke from the refrigerator. Thanks. Randy, I was thinking, Junior can't be sure that you're cron man. He'll stick his nose into this for sure. Briggs seems to be ready for him. Oh, they are. Thanks for getting my fuel. You want some? I had a chicken salad wrap at the pizza place. What is this secure place that Briggs was talking about? She smiled and balanced her chin on her folded hands. Methinks you never give up. You think right. Don't worry, Fogarty. I know you're not going to tell me. I can tell you that they allocated an incredible amount of money toward this facility while we were in Wyoming. Plans for such a facility and the materials were ready to go. You mean like this bunker? Module. But you're right. They just uncrated this. What they're building now is being done in modules. They've made considerable progress. It's quite extraordinary. 
Randy opened the second pizza box. You know, my whole life has changed. I know that. Yours too. No, I'm working, but with you. Is that a good thing? He asked. He looked at her as he guzzled some coke. She rolled her tongue around her cheek. How would you like to go to the movies? See a movie classic. Briggs told me to stay put. I'll take care of it. There's a classic movie house downtown. What's playing? Something from the 60s? No, you goof. Classic. Gable and Colbert. The first screwball comedy. Randy stared at her. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Well, I do know who Gable was. Colbert, who was he? She. Oh. So we go downtown? No. We watch it right here. Inside the Janus helicopter, Junior held his cell with his shoulder as he signed off on several payments to vendors. What do you see, Rudy? Earlier I saw Randy Wilson and Conover and an unknown female enter the garage. Conover left. Who the hell is she? Blonde. Cute. Now she looks like, you idiot. We'll check it out. Don't check it out. Find out. And where's old man Wilson? Exactly the question, genius, said Junior as he looked along Lake Van Buren north of Camden Bay. There's no doubt in my mind that Cron Man took that truck out of Camden Bay and dumped it in the lake. You're afraid of Cron Man. I'm not afraid of nothing, fool. Oh. If you need more guys, Rudy, get them. I want you to find Cron Man. I'll see what I can do. Just do it, Rudy, he said as he leaned forward to his pilot. Chip, what do they tell you at the warehouse? All clear, Mr. Janus. The trucks are waiting for a dispersal. 18. Good. Junior sat back in the seat. He punched in Melville's office. He ran his hand over his tired face as the phone rang. John Melville's office? Answered a young man. Who the hell is this? David Burke. Hey, Burke, this is Maurice Janus. Has the president left for Camden Bay? Yes, sir. Great. Thanks, kid. Don't tell me your problems. He hung up the phone. What a whiner. Warehouse, 13 South Main Street, Grassley, New York. August 21st, 2021, 8.30 p.m. The warehouse was long, cold, and musty. Built years ago in the middle of the woods for a machine shop, Junior had stocked it with new crates unloaded from the caskets he had sold on the black market for a hefty profit. The overhead lights were caged remnants from the 20th century. Junior held up the smartphone. Unless you have a microscope and look under those chips, you wouldn't know, he told Rodney. You make sure none of this can be traced legally. I don't want Baldwin or the feds breathing down my neck. These shipments cannot be traced. The manifests are written as non-profit food entities. Just take care of it, Rodney, like you did the jury foreman. What about the cash? What's your hurry? You'll get it. Dutch will have a briefcase for you by Monday. Junior leaned over the tablets and PCs on the table. These things are dead ringers for the real things. A big resale value. You let me worry about that, Counselor. You play your cards right and you can work for a Dutch and be set for life. Junior's phone rang. What is it now, Rudy? Wilson and the girl, they're still inside the garage. What the hell's going on in there? 
asked Junior as he walked along the crates. Makes no sense. We checked through the windows, but there's nobody there. Just a couple of small lights in the painting bins in the garage. You idiot. You must have let them get out. Impossible. Find them, dummy. He turned back to Rodney. Our next shipment is coming in in a few weeks. This involves possible sensitive materials. I don't understand. Classified, you horse's ass. He looked around. Where the hell's Brenda? She had to uh, freshen up, said Dawson, his lead warehouse man. Tomorrow night, this chopper is leaving for the regalia in Cannon Bay, sweetheart. We're meeting the President of the United States. Top that. I can't, sir. I didn't think so. Eddie's Quick Fix Garage, 8.43 p.m. With the popcorn bucket on the side table, the black and white movie formed a silver hue over them and Brownie sleeping on the floor. Randy spoke as he watched the movie. I wonder if watching a movie is breaking regulations and protocol. Maybe, she smiled, or maybe not. Colbert is going to stop that car. Now how's she going to do that? Gable couldn't do it. Colbert slid up her skirt, exposing a good portion of her leg. The first passing car skidded to a stop on the rural road. Randy leaned back and laughed. Human nature never changes. For sure, she said. Brownie sat up, and Randy heard movement outside. What is it? Somebody's out there. I don't hear it, she said, flipping the remote back to the garage monitor. Two men rummaged through the side bins and back toward Eddie's office. Randy pushed Bulldog's cell number. Randy, I was just talking to Colonel Briggs. I wanted to come over tonight and talk to you about what happened. Well, you better send somebody over here now, Bull. Two guys are snooping around the garage. Junior's goons? Who knows? I'm leaving here now, but I'll have somebody over there in a few minutes. Keep the module doors closed. Will do. He turned to Fogarty. Junior's a snake, but a sly snake. He's trying to connect the dots. I hope I didn't leave any Cron Auto Part boxes in stock. Eddie has his own stock supplier. Cheap, cheap, cheap. The two men shuffled along the wall bin and under the fluorescent light that was left on. Do you recognize them? Asked Fogarty in front of the monitor. No, but I'm sure Bulldog's boys will be out there real soon. They must have figured all this out from Junior's office. She held his side. So what if he knows who you are? CX-6 will be done and he won't be able to prove anything. Besides, Junior is in real trouble, according to Warden. You mean the docks? The FBI has people watching the docks constantly. And, he said, holding her wrist, Fogarty. Junior, I'm sure, has already had the shipments unloaded and reshipped. If they're waiting down at the dock, it's going to be a long wait. Two SWAT team members led an armored group of cops into the garage. The two men inside the garage turned, dropped their weapons, and raised their hands. The SWAT team handcuffed them and pushed them outside. Bulldog Baldwin, surprisingly in body armor, moved in with the other three cops. One of the cops pushed the intruders toward him. You work for Janice, don't you? Uh, who's Janice? Asked the greasy-haired one with a surly grin. Randy shook his head. Bulldog re-entered the garage, passed the camera toward the paint room. Fogarty punched in the codes and opened both doors. You guys okay? asked Randy. Yeah. We'll find out who these clowns are. My guess is Junior. 
Briggs is flying in tomorrow morning before the president gets here, and I have bad news for you. What's that? Decker. He's already in town. Decker? The Secret Service has been securing this area for the last ten days, Randy. Streets, buildings, air corridors. You're going to have to speak with Decker tomorrow before the president arrives. Does Briggs know about this? He insisted on setting up the meeting because Decker has been such an ass. He thinks I'm going after the president. Which is damn stupid, said Fogarty. Decker wants you out of the area before the president's chopper touches down. Briggs has promised him that. You'll be brought to the first module of what will be called Delta Complex. I think I should remain right here. They don't even know who Fournier is. Or Ouroboros. What is Ouroboros? I understand, but why do you feel like you should stay in Camden Bay? I just think I should. Bring it up tomorrow when you talk to Decker. Briggs will be in late morning to brief you. Okay. What is this, Wednesday night at the movies? Just a little R&R, Chief, said Fogarty. Oh, okay, said Bulldog. Oh, by the way, Randy, your father's girlfriend has nothing to do with Janice. Amazing. Good night, Bull. Good night. Chapter 25. The freighter, North Atlantic, sailing on Lake Van Buren, outside Camden Bay, New York, August 22, 2021, 5.15 a.m. The sun had not risen above Lake Van Buren's steely horizon, and bright cloud swatches hovered over the eastern sky. Collins walked the entire deck of the freighter North Atlantic. The cool night air lingered as he moved down the stairs to the open bay. A hundred feet away, the winged drone was smaller than he had believed. Its robin's egg blue shell surrounded an outer hull and the bomb box below. Three of Kovar's men monitored systems as another man worked on an open panel. The countdown clock had just passed the 40-hour mark. What's the problem? Not a problem, just a systems check. Everything is nominal. Outer explosive mechanism is functional. The service arrival of the nuclear material is three hours away. Collins checked the map of Lake Van Buren extending north. The surface torpedo contained the fuel needed for the detonation of the microblast. It had been released on an isolated beach in Canada yesterday afternoon to avoid radioactive detection. Where is Kovar? New York City. Collins nodded. He'll arrive in Camden Bay at 1 p.m. Verify synchronizing device. He pushed in several codes. The synchronizing device is approaching Cleveland. When in proximity of the target, we will control detonation from 115 kilometers northeast of our present position. Camden Bay is 62 kilometers due west of our present position. They are aware that Kovar will park in the B section of the Hotel Ralston garage. Yes. Good. The trash barrel is on the third level down, northwest corner. Contact as a waiter at the hotel will hand off to Kovar in the restaurant restroom. Collins turned back to the drone. And then he brings it to the garage. He won't meet with the president. The software won't become fully functional for the geographic fix until an hour before the president's speech. Kovar will leave Camden Bay via a prearranged bus ride to New York City. Unless the drone is intercepted said Martin. Then the non-activated bomb will be dropped into the lake. The identity and registration of this drone is to a teenager in Ontario. Collins produced a quick smile and nodded. Call me when the torpedo is within range. Okay. 
Collins grabbed the rail and scampered up the corrugated metal stairs. The piercing sunbeams across the lake hit his face as he reached the dock. He had no political feelings about Richardson or the United States. The only thing that mattered to him was the cash he would receive six months from now in Buenos Aires. The Janus Tower, August 22, 2021, 6.35 a.m. Julie had already done her report on the President's visit. Junior's heavy stopped her outside Channel 4's building and whisked her over to the Janus Tower. You people are thugs, she yelled in the elevator. Only doing our jobs, missy. How about asking me to come up here instead of kidnapping me? The penthouse door is open. Julie had only been up here once to tell Junior in person that she had no desire to date him. His face resembled a little boy who had just been told he wouldn't be allowed to have an ice cream cone. The inner doors opened and Rodney stood in front of Junior's walnut desk. The whole place smelled of an artificial orange scent. Rodney, what are you doing here? I'm here to ask you to tell the truth. Do you work for him? What I do is unimportant. How could you? What happened to your brother? He got home from the Air Force. I know what happened right here in this office, he said, moving up to her. I know that your brother was shot just like in the hospital and was unscathed. I know that he leaped out the window with Eddie Conover and survived. You've got quite the imagination, Rodney. You know what? You can just go to hell. Now, 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 sweet Julie, said Junior as he emerged from the back. He hadn't shaved. What's the matter, Junior? Can't you speak for yourself? He's some kind of superhero, isn't he, Julie? Julie stepped closer. You know, Junior, you were a loser when you were in school, and you're a bigger loser now. Up here in your penthouse, paid for by your father's money. Don't bring my old man into this. Why not? You probably murdered him to get the money. Junior stared, his face a shade whiter. Where's your brother now? Why do you care? Blackmail, sweetie. I want money to keep my mouth shut. There's nothing to bargain with. Oh, really? He asked, his blue eyes glassy. Number one, I want 50 grand a month because I know the government's involved. And secondly, you're going to be my girl. She gawked at him. Is that how you get women? And what about you, Rodney? You were just a spy for this creep. Rod does what he's told. You can go a long way with me, baby. I'm going to be meeting with the President of the United States. What do you think of that? I think Richardson is dumber than I thought. Ah, you'll see it my way, he said as he grabbed her wrist. Julie paused and then spit in his face. Junior quickly swabbed his handkerchief. Then he pushed the intercom. Two of his men rushed into the penthouse office. Get her the hell out of here. Get her to Rudy. He'll take care of this. You have 12 hours, my friend, and then you die. Rodney did a double take, but did nothing as Julie was dragged from the office. You're a coward, Rodney, just like him. Bay Breakfast, corner of Main and Jefferson Streets, Camden Bay, New York, August 22, 2021, 7 a.m. Bulldog sat in the police's SUV's passenger seat. One of his men drove the vehicle with Fogarty and Randy in back. He leaned over into the back seat. As late as this morning, Decker had an argument with his superiors about keeping the president at the White House. Because of what happened to me? He has nothing. 
They haven't even connected this so-called Fournier or the Outboros, nothing. A bull, that's all well and good, but what if something's going to happen? I should be here. Decker will never let you anywhere near Camden Bay for the next 36 hours. Just what does Decker think that Randy's going to do? Asked Fogarty. You don't want to know, Randy laughed. He's got me pegged as this high-tech assassin. Well, just cooperate with him. The colonel's plane will be landing soon, and they'll get you to the first module of Delta. I'm very worried about the president's safety, said Randy, as they pulled into a brown clabbered breakfast nook along the water. Anything in particular? He shook his head. Okay, let's get this over with. The driver opened the rear door. Randy moved out behind Fogarty. Bacon and eggs were the first thing he smelled as they walked forward. I don't see Decker, Bull. Let's sit at one of the outside tables in order. They moved toward a series of flowered umbrella tables, empty at the beginning of the day. When will Harry be back at work? asked Randy as the waitress dropped off the menus. Thank you, said Bull. Ah, the coffee, black. O.J., said Randy. Make it two. He thinks he's going in next week, but maybe two weeks. Well, he won't like that. Randy stared across the morning sun, glimmering on Lake Van Buren. A slight breeze moved across the water. You know, they say the president's safe because of all their conventional security measures, but what about unconventional? We can only do what we can do. A few moments later, the waitress arrived with the coffee and the OJs. A black SUV started along the lake toward the restaurant. What the hell is he doing? asked Bulldog as he stood, coffee mug in hand. The SUV stopped on the road. Agents with handguns poured out of the vehicle, followed by Decker in a three-piece suit. Freeze! What is this? shouted Randy, now on his feet. That goes for you too, Wilson. You're prime suspect number one. Decker sneered as he waved his gun. All of you, you're all being brought back to Virginia. I'm not going anywhere, said Bulldog. Not you, Chief. Under what authority? I have a signed order from John Hollingsworth, director of the Secret Service. He unfolded the paper from his suco pocket. I don't need to read it, but no one's leaving Camden Bay. Decker motioned with his head. A few seconds later, men with automatic weapons blocked access from the table. Now what do you say? So you people have minimal authority and even less brains. Cuff Wilson and load him in the SUV. Randy heard a helicopter approaching from the east. Okay, Decker, hold off, said Bulldog, wiping his mouth with a napkin. Reinforcements have arrived. An olive-colored military helicopter, compact with sloping blades, approached from the lake. That's an Air Force. Pave Hawk, said Randy, shielding his eyes. Has to be Briggs. Briggs? Out of here, boys, said Decker as they all ran for the SUV. Seconds later, the SUV raced down the road along the lake. The helicopter set down in the beach parking lot across the street. You're 100% right there, crime man, said Fogarty as Briggs, in full uniform, marched alone up the road. Randy and Fogarty stood as he approached and saluted. Briggs returned the salute. He had a wide smile. Briggs looked down the road. Well, I guess you had visitors for breakfast. Yes, sir. You arrived in the nick of time. Decker's nonsense will stop. Once I get you to the first module, they would do to be debriefed. It'll be an extensive complex and completed. It may seem like science fiction, but so are you, Randy. We need a sanctuary where no one can get at you. No one can question you or the project. I understand, Kokomo, he said as they both laughed. Will I be a prisoner in there, or can I go out? Going out will be permitted, said Fogarty. Thank you, Commander Fogarty. She had a twinkle in her eye. You're welcome.
Okay, let's go to the beginnings of Delta Complex. That's an order. We'll touch base with you when the President arrives, Colonel. Thank you, Chief. What do you think's going to happen on this visit, Colonel? Asked Randy as they headed onto the road. I don't know. I know as security measures have been taken as much as humanly possible. Randy looked him in the eye. What about not so humanly? Batman had the Batcave. Doc Savage had the 86th floor of the Empire State Building. 177A Bleecker Street was Dr. Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. Or what about the Avengers Tower? We get an inkling about Cron Man's secret hideaway in this episode and finally see it in the last episode of Cron Man. The plot against the president is ingenious, secretive, and most assuredly deadly. We will get to see Cron Man in all his glory in action in episode 5, the last installment of the Cron Man book. This is Fitton writing from my secret hideaway. Somebody warm up the plane. We're heading to Camden Bay. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.